Hey guys, I would just like to thank you for being so patient during COVID. I went down the COVID rabbit hole, as I'm sure many of you did. But luckily during that time, we still had some new patrons show up. So thank you to Gabrielle T. And we also had one new elder, which was Justin from the Obscure True Crime podcast. So I have to get together with him and do one of the extra bonuses for that. But again, thank you guys so much for understanding and still being here when I came back. And I hope you all are doing well. Thank you to all the patrons and the supporters. Here's the episode. Welcome back to the Cult of Domesticity. I'm here with Kelly from Boobies and Newbies, which some of you have heard me talk about on here a lot. Uh, do you want to tell everybody what your podcast is about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here to talk about murder and war. You know, I don't usually get to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I aim to please. Yes. Well, <laughs> Boobies and Newbies is a romance novel review podcast, and we uh, review romance novels, usually newer ones, uh, with guests who have never read a romance novel. Most of the time. Sometimes I make exceptions depending on who the guest is. But it's been um, a fun adventure. Just kind of like the whole goal being to introduce new readers to the genre. And of course, you know, entertain readers of romance already. And, you know, spread a little joy in the world, especially in this world we're in today. Oh, it is. The podcast is definitely full of joy in some of the situations (laughs) that these romance novels like put you in. You're just like, what is what is happening? Yeah. Why is this happening? Yeah. You know what? And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's romance novels out there that, you know, are on the more tragic side, but that is not the kind that I read. That is not the kind that I promote. Like I am all about the happily ever after. So every every book we read is, you know, whether it's a paranormal romance, historical romance, contemporary romance, I I make sure that we have a happy ending to share with the world. <laughs> That should be your tagline, making sure everybody gets their happy ending. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. On, on so many different levels. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, we've already been talking. We're still in quarantine, guys. It's still happening. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know. It's, it's at the point where it's like I find myself getting like too comfortable almost. Like I don't want to adjust to this being like my new normal. Yeah. It's definitely I hit probably about a month plus in. I hit the oh, this is just gonna go into depression stage. Mm, which yeah. is fun. Yeah. Fun so, for all. Fun for many. Ugh. It's fun for many, especially because the weather in Ohio has been so bipolar. Mm. You know, we're supposed to as of when we're recording this, the threat of snow has been thrown out. Yeah. It's not, well, and I don't know. I don't know what's worse. Like, is it worse? Like, I, I live in L.A. And when we first started quarantine, it was actually like really rainy and gross weather outside, which, you know, rain in L.A. is might as well be the end of the world because L.A. doesn't know how to handle weather colder than 80 degrees. And um, but now we're having these beautiful sunny hot days and I don't know what's worse to like have to stay inside during that or to stay inside when it's like gross outside and you don't want to go out I think if it was balancing out where you have like some nice sunny days some rainy days so you can like feel better but yeah all or nothing is kind of sucking yeah at least Ohio has not had any more tornado warnings because we've had two <laughs> well there you go it's not fun, you're finding the bright lose- side <laughs> I'm trying. Who knows? But let's talk about another dark thing. Murder. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly, are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. <laughs> From one dark topic to another. You're welcome. Oh, I know. I know. I, I was waiting for you to do the segue of like, well, but let's not dwell on that. But I'm like, you can't segue <laughs> to something nicer. We're talking about murder. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Guys, it's you guys should be used to it by now. You know what you're coming for. <laughs> Darkness. Yeah. Depressing things. That's what keeps them With coming the back, spin. right? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every year ready. Okay. So, 
let me tell you, I I was born and raised in Alameda, California. It's a, believe it or not, small island <laughs> in the San oh. Francisco Bay. I'm in the actual bay. Yeah, it's it. People always find it really funny when I tell them it's an island, but it is. It is an island, and um, it's we do have palm trees, but it's not Hawaii. Like get that image out of your head for sure. <laughs> and it's it's right across from San Francisco. And uh, you know, if you need to know fun facts about Alameda, <laughs> here you go. Here are some things you should know. They filmed scenes from The Matrix there. In fact, Ooh. Keanu Reeves was just in town. And I think he was photographed eating like an ice cream cone. And I was like, yeah, that's that's about right. <laughs> Alameda is also the birthplace of peanut butter and popsicles. So you're welcome. I was gonna say that's a weird combination together, <laughs> but both of those are delicious. Yeah, neither have anything to do with the other. I just those were like the two that I'm like, okay, people need to know. We we have like a peanut butter festival every year called the Peanut Butter and Jam Festival. And oh my god, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I know, right? Who doesn't want it? peanut butter on everything? And then we used to have an amusement park that was back in the heyday, like 1920s, on the beach called Neptune Beach. And that's where they came up with popsicles. So uh, this was all before my time in Alameda. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when you ask me, you know, was there like a crime or a mystery like that was kind of from the area? I I looked up Alameda. You know, it's, it's a very quiet city. I mean, I call it a town because it feels like a town, but I guess it's a city. Mm-hmm. And um, but we're right next to San Francisco. And I feel like San Francisco has so many memorable stories like the Zodiac Killer, the Unabomber, you know, part of the um, the Lacey Peterson story takes place in the Bay Area. That's where he dumped her body. So there I was trying to like find something that I was like, well, you know what? I, I want to find something that maybe people don't know about. And I found one that I didn't even know about it. So I am excited to share <laughs> The story about Stevie Allman. And this takes place in Oakland. Can I just say, best name. Stevie Allman. Yeah, I know. It's Well, Stevie, I'm like torn between like Stevie Nicks and Stevie from Schitt's Creek Stevie because it's a female Stevie. Yeah, I like it. But anyway, there's a character on Schitt's Creek named Stevie. (laughs) This woman's name is also Stevie. Stevie Allman. Like the Allman brothers, but... Stevie. And um, I, (laughs) when I was doing my research, I was trying to find other podcasts that had maybe covered it. And I really only found one episode. Like there might be more, but the only one I could find was from a February episode of this year from Half Sisters Whole Crime podcast. Great name, right? I love that name. That is a good one. Yeah. And so I listened to their episode. I definitely did a lot of research and found most of the information from news articles. So here we go. We were, I'm taking you back to the late. 90s and this is a love it yeah, great time to be alive right um <laughs> so y2k oh god that was the best <laughs> you have the 2000 election happening which is going to be real interesting bill clinton's still president yeah oh so oh what a great time to be alive yeah this was <laughs> this was um we're kind of starting in like late 1996 in oakland okay California and like I don't know do you know anything about Oakland just like from the name of it um I believe is that where West Coast rap is based or was based yeah I feel like for sure for sure that's definitely um part of like ingrained in the Bay Area and Oakland in general like even when I was growing up and I and I was growing up in the 90s Oakland has been known as like a murder capital of America for like as long as I've been alive like they've definitely turned things around in the last few years but in the like late 80s early 90s the violent crime rate rose significantly it was I mean they were topping the charts as murder capitals of America so this is just setting the scene. That is where Stevie Allman is living. And at this time, 1996, she's 52 years old. There's not a ton of information about her earlier years. Um, what I actually did find out about her and her family, um, sadly, came from her older sister, 
Leota's obituary, which was from, yeah, it was from a few years ago. She passed away actually close to this time, seven years ago. I think she passed on Mother's Day, 2013. But so Mm. in Leota's obituary, she mentioned that she was one of 10 kids, one of which was Stevie Allman. And I'll just pause there, like 10 children in one family. You know, when you don't have access to birth control (laughs) and... It just, like, you're still going to be having sex. It makes sense. I I mean, I just, I just feel for, like, any woman that's had to, like, push 10 children out of her vagina. Like, that's just, like, ouch. Insane. <laughs> I can't even imagine. You know, it goes with my, that's my saying, uh, you know, if you don't have birth control, women can be treated like a t-shirt can and just popping those babies Ooh, out. Oh, yikes. What an image. <laughs> oh. But you know it's kind of true because naturally you have if you're breastfeeding you have two years between kids right with the whole birth and weaning process so you literally are popping them out like pretty quickly and it's like the closest imagery you can think of and it's violent and aggressive on your body yeah yeah and that's why a lot of women would have like a couple kids and then pass because dangerousness God, yeah. Well, okay. So this is a family of 10, 10 children. And and I'll mention a few of them in this story. But so Stevie is 52. Leota is the oldest of the kids. And she, she mentions, uh, they mentioned in her obituary that this had been a very troubled family, like from the get-go and that they would sometimes leave town wherever they were living in the middle of the night um, with, you know, just at the drop of a hat. And they lived in places like an old chicken coop, a mud house, a storm drain inside a car. So, I mean, they... This is a family of 10 kids that is just, you know, I mean, I I feel like that's got to be hard to provide for no matter what your financial means are. And 10 kids, yikes. Yeah, that's you're living at the bottom of poverty level. You're barely scraping by. Yeah. And just so I mean, it seems like Stevie and her family were just moving place to place throughout her entire childhood. And it's not really clear how... They settled in like the Bay Area, but um, the oldest sister, Leota, she uh, she eloped when she was 19. So it seems like after from that point on, they kind of settled in the Bay Area like she was kind of helping raise her siblings. So that makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She was the oldest, right? She kind of jumped into that mom role. Well, if you think about any family you see where there's a lot of kids, the older kids raise the younger kids. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, I have a cousin, they have nine kids. Wow. I mean, I always joke and it was saying it was 12. But (laughs) yeah, so but I mean, the age range is like, in the 30s to ones in elementary school. God, yeah, I can't imagine that range. Like, I'm an only child. So I mean, I can't speak to this at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's too many kids. I know. Imagine having to share bathroom. No. Well, and if you're homeless, you know, or living in a chicken coop, like there is no bathroom, there is no shower. Like it's yeah, I can't even imagine. But um, what we know about Leota is that she, you know, took on this like mom role and she was a really great role model. Like she, from a very young age, was taking care of the younger siblings, including Stevie. And she and her husband went on to start a nonprofit to benefit underprivileged Aww. families. They had an organization called the Society of Good Neighbors. And so basically, the only reason I mentioned Leota is that she set a really solid example for who Stevie would grow up to be. And Stevie Allman was described as a quiet, reclusive soul. She she kept to herself. She had been employed as a secretary, but around the time that our story starts in the late 96th era... She was unemployed. You know, as we know, unemployed people need hobbies. They need things to do. So she... So they don't go crazy. (laughs) Exactly. I'm facing this right now in quarantine, so I understand. Oh, yeah. Um, But she decided that, you know, she was going to play little Nancy Drew up in here and... Love it. Start doing a little sleuthing. (laughs) 
I Which, I mean, <laughs> Detective Stevie Allman. Oh, that's right? such a noir. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that so... I Seriously, okay. I would watch that. Um, So, yeah, she becomes... I, I, you know, I won't even say she's like detective because she literally is doing this all from her like the windows of her house. She notices drug deals going down in her neighborhood from inside her house, like looking out the window, them just happening on the streets. And she starts giving tips to the police. She starts saying, hey, look, this stuff is going down outside. I just want to clean up the neighborhood. And I, she wasn't looking for a reward. She wasn't looking for praise. Like she was literally just doing good. That's all she wanted to do. And um, she just wanted to take care of her community and make it safe, which is yeah. so admirable. I know. Well, and think about this. This is in this is where it gets really crazy to me because this is in the 90s and she starts videotaping what's happening outside from inside her window. I'm just like wondering, like the level you would have to go. This isn't like pulling out your iPhone and like just taking a quick no. video. <laughs> like, So for our younger listeners, let's just my dad had. We had a video camera in the 90s. (laughs) And let's say, which I think was really from the, probably they got it after my brother. So it's early 90s, Mm. uh, late 80s. It is massive. It is the size. It is the length of a laptop. Probably weighs about 10 pounds. You have to put it on a tripod or put it on your shoulder. Right. Huge. It is huge. It's massive. Oh, my God. It's (laughs) so heavy. And you have to put actual tapes in it. Right. So I'm just like the amount of work that goes into like videoing these things happening outside her window. Like you have to put that into context with the fact that it's. 1996 ish so i i was very impressed when i read that she was doing this and then giving the tapes to the police which i'm like okay i hope someone was reimbursing her for those tapes because that couldn't have been cheap oh, yeah. <laughs> on unemployment oh no God. i didn't even think about the cost of the tapes <laughs> oh yeah so and i mean even well no i'm thinking of early 2000s video cameras where you had cassettes in there those weren't even cheap either i know and that's that's like what i was picturing were like the giant cassette tapes (laughs) yeah oh my god i know so she she does this for over a year she does this for over a year videotaping um drug deals that are going on outside her window giving the tapes to the police she becomes pretty well known within her community as an anti-drug activist and the police love working with her they they think she's fantastic the fact that she's doing this people call her a guardian angel a hero a crime crusader that's like my favorite <laughs> yes sarah or what a Stevie Allman crime crusader like that. I can just see it right now. So obviously, you know, as well known as she's getting and being praised for it, it's it's only a matter of time before like the drug dealers and gangs realize that something's going on. Right. So and they in the span of a couple months, there are two separate firebombs set off outside of her house. In attempted attacks to, you know, either scare Stevie off or, you know, just kind of take her out. I, I don't know. Either way, they're not they're not effective enough where like she's injured, but the fire department's called. It's filed with the police, you know, and mm-hmm. then um, our real story begins on July 1st, 1997, when firefighters respond to a two alarm alert at Stevie's house. It's a working class neighborhood in East Oakland. It's the middle of the night. And this is the third firebomb, supposedly, that's been set off at her house. And her house is completely destroyed. She makes it out. She's severely... Oh, thank goodness. Yes, yeah, severely burned. Um, they, they say over 15% of her body suffers first and second de- degree burns. So, I mean, she is real messed up. They, In fact, in one article, they said that she comes running out of the house with like the bottom half of her dress on fire. So she gets out. Um, the house is gone. Unfortunately, her two dogs 
Oda and no! Caesar. Yep. They they are lost in the fire. So I should have issued a warning that like <laughs> we lose dogs in this story. Let's not lie. A lot of people you can hear horrible things happening to people, but animals. How oh, dare you? I know. I know. It makes me so angry. I'm just like, I don't know why you would ever hurt puppies um but so she she's taken to the hospital the firemen and police quickly determined that this had to be arson and i mean coupled with the fact that there had already been a couple attacks on her house it it makes sense like they're the first thing that they think of is oh it's the drug dealers they're back they're out together so they take her to the hospital she's recovering there from her burns and People are behind her 100%. Like they are determined to figure out who would dare try to hurt this angel of a woman. So, I mean, even the police, they vow to capture the people responsible for, and I quote, this cowardly act. And the, the there's a lot of great quotes, by the way, in this. So I hope you enjoy that. Oh, loving it. Yeah. The police chief for Oakland police, he says, we intend to jump on this with both feet and both fists. Like they are not, they are not holding anything out, anything back. They are, they are not fucking around. Yeah. Or as Australia says, they're not here to fuck with spiders. (laughs) Oh, I like that. They're not here to fuck spiders. They're not, wait, (laughs) they're not here to fuck with spiders or they're not here to fuck spiders? They're not here to fuck spiders. We're not here to fuck spiders. That's an Australian slang. Oh, I am adding that to my vocabulary immediately. (laughs) Love it. It basically means we're not here to like fuck around. I like I like it better with I'm not here to fuck spiders like that. That is so funny. Oh, God, I love that. Um, Okay, so they're not they're not here to fuck spiders. There you go. And so you would think, okay, it gets bigger than that. This isn't even because when I first read this, I was researching the story and I I was surprised that there wasn't as much press as I thought there would be considering how much how many people were on her side. And um, because it goes beyond the Oakland police, Um, the California governor at the time, Pete Wilson, offers a $50,000 reward to anyone who assists the police in their investigation and like points them in the right direction. And I was just like, I'm sorry. Like, I know this woman was doing some good deeds, but $50,000 thousand dollars like that's wow that that's big that it must be she must have been doing a lot of good and the police department someone was pointing it out to the governor being like hey yeah like this is not okay yeah yeah and and i will say i i looked into governor pete wilson and he actually ran for president the year before in 1996 like he had run for the republican nomination and eventually that went Hmm. to bob dole but he was actually doing really well. And I think at the time he was coming up on a re-election year for governor. So I think this kind of also played into like, oh, I want to, uh, you know, send a message to people that I'm a, I'm a stand up for my communities. So I don't know if it if that's all it was or if she literally had done that much impressive work for the neighborhood. So we got we got the Oakland police. We got the governor on her side. And then she gets a call from the White House. What? Yep. The White House calls up the hospital to express their support and basically says, we will do everything in our power to help you. What can we do? We want to find who these guys are that dared hurt Stevie Allman. And I mean, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Like you would think White House is it. Nope, we're still going. We've got... The media is super into her. They are coming by the hospital. They want to do private interviews with Stevie. There is a donation fund set up and more than $3,000 is collected just from people around the neighborhood, people in Oakland that want to support her. Which is amazing because if you consider if it's such a high crime area, there's probably like some people do are working in the middle class, but you're probably dealing with people like closer to the poverty line. So it's true. Just $5 might be all they had to give. Yeah. But when you have, you know, 200 people donating $5, you know, it makes all the Mm -hmm. difference. Yeah. So she... They're they're sending donations. 
local contractors offer to rebuild her house. Aww. The Oakland Police Officers Association give Stevie $500 to buy her two new dogs because they want her to be protected. I know. I I mean, it's incredible. And then she gets, she, while she's in the hospital, she gets over 100 cards from people that just send her cards. And in the cards are 92 checks totaling almost $5,000. So people are in awe of what this woman was doing for the community and they want to support her. That's all happening while she's in the hospital. And she even released a statement a few days after the fire, you know, asking her neighbors to keep up the fight. And, you know, especially since she kind of like looked at herself as like a wounded soldier in like this fight against crime that's happening in Oakland. And a week later, she wrote out this long three-page letter that they released to the public that said in it, she said, It's difficult to imagine people could be this cruel, not once, not twice, but three times. I have no doubt they intended to murder me and burn my house down on top of me. Their warped minds thought this act would clear the way to do their dirty dealing without resistance from me and at the same time scaring everyone else along 50th Avenue and beyond into a terrified slave state. So she... You know, I mean, she was very public. Yeah. And and this is this is my favorite part is she she goes on to basically identify the people that supposedly set this fire in her statement by saying those drug dealers were wearing smiles as their cohorts simultaneously lobbed four one gallon glass containers of flammable liquid into my home. The liquid covered every exit, splashed all over my dogs and myself In just seconds, we were engulfed in flames. Well, guess what? Their ill-conceived plans have backfired and blown up in their faces. No pun intended. So, I mean, it seems like case closed, right? I mean, it just seems like so much like, well, here it is. Here's what happened. You know, I'm okay. Thanks for supporting me. Let's move on. Simple enough, right? And the fact that they they were using Molotov cocktails, I mean, they are pretty good at starting fires. And it got on her and her dogs. The fact that she's alive is impressive and remembers, like, who it is. Right. Unfortunately, I feel like that's going to put a target on her even larger. Yeah. Yes. So here's where this gets a little more bananas, um, because at first glance, and it's funny reading if you read the news articles that came out sort of in the order that they came out, because it's interesting seeing what details were released at what time, as opposed to just reading like the big blanket picture. So at this point, she's recovering in the hospital. People are sending her money, good wishes. You know, everyone's on her side. And Police are like a little surprised that no one is actually responding to the governor's reward offer. Like they're thinking, well, this is this is weird. Like we're talking about a place where, you know, uh, people could use this money. So like, I mean, are people just scared to out the drug dealers behind it? Like, what's the story? You know, why don't people want $50,000? Yeah. And I, I get like, that area, I could see where that would be if you snitched, you know, that might be a problem. So I do get that. But especially because they tried to burn her house down three times. Right. Like That is scary. Right. And so but that's one side of it. And then other things start to happen a, a few miles, about an hour south of Oakland in a in a city called Scotts Valley. And I know the city because my uncle grew up there. <laughs> So, um, and he's, is his name Scott? It's not, it's not, but you know what? He used to be a cop. So I feel like I'm going to have to like talk to him after reading about this case. Oh yeah. But while this whole thing is going on in Oakland, in Scott's Valley, Leota, the oldest sister that I mentioned earlier, she lives there and she files a missing persons report with the police and mentions something That's kind of takes this case in a whole new direction. And the fact is that Stevie did not live alone in this house that burned down. She 
lived there with her sister, her younger sister, Sarah. So this is this is the first time, mind you, that the police, anybody is hearing about her sister, Sarah. So from there, more of Stevie's siblings and neighbors and friends contact the authorities and tell them the same thing that Sarah lived with Stevie from all of this happening and all of the news reports coming out and you know this being a very public story it doesn't take long before people come forward and tell the authorities this woman you're talking to is not Stevie this is Sarah this is Stevie's sister Sarah <laughs> now we kind wait what <laughs> yep <laughs> so everyone we have a <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I got to put my head back on. It just blew up. What? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 this is why I call this story bananas is because every time you think it's going one direction, it goes in a whole different direction. So what kills me is unfortunately, this is one of those stories that kind of puts cops in a really bad light because we're, my first question was, I don't understand. How do you like mistake one person for another? Are they twin sisters you know what what's the deal and literally yeah. the story is that the authorities never verified who they'd been talking to this entire time they had taken stevie what? they had taken stevie at her word that she was exactly who she said she was so at this point they've until now they've been working under the assumption that this has been Stevie. And it's not until people come forward and tell them that it's Sarah that they start to dig into who Sarah Mitchell is. Here's what we know. I, you can't see my face, but I'm still <laughs> in shock by this like evil twin reveal. Yeah. Like so let me tell you, here's what we know about Sarah Mitchell. Sarah Mitchell is Stevie Almond's younger sister and she's she's five years younger she's 47 so they aren't twins but if you looked at a picture of them um you it, it's understandable like they even say that people would mistake them for twins they i mean it's funny though like they're literally they're both white women with brown hair and like a little wider set i mean that, i'm like if this is the criteria we're going after i could have been twins with them so i mean i mean <laughs> It kind of, I get it. Yeah. Like, especially if they have similar facial features and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you see a picture and... But yeah, no, I was going to say, I totally get it. Because, I mean, I've taught students where, I joke, there's skinny white boys, college white boys, mm. that all look the same. Yes. Yes. And they're all named Chad. Or Matt. Mm -hmm. Or Michael. Mm -hmm. Or Sam. Yeah. Or Ryan. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, I, I can see it from a distance. You're like, oh, crap, which one are you? But right, right. And I'll send you, know. you I'll send you a picture because they really do. I mean, they really do look alike. Like I can see where people would mistake them for twins. She is, in fact, Sarah is five years younger. According to the family, Sarah is not the go-getting do-gooder type like Stevie. She she was lazy. She was constantly out of work. She had also been living rent-free with Stevie for over 20 years. Damn. 20 years. I In California, that's a lot of rent. I, um, and especially, I mean, I'm from the Bay Area. I, I can tell you how expensive those cities are. Like 20 years rent-free. So, Which just goes to show you how good of a human real Stevie is, not fake posing Stevie but yeah 20 years letting oh, yeah. your sister live with you rent free and apparently her only rent that she had to pay was to basically purchase her own groceries and help out around the house so like normal normal roommate kind of stuff yeah I mean my sister did pay rent to my parents but that was in the form of liquor <laughs> which is really funny there you go I like that deal <laughs> But basically what it all boils down to is Sarah was definitely, you know, not the the great citizen that Stevie was. She, um, in fact, according to one of their other sisters, whose name is Lee, nobody was pleased when Sarah moved into Stevie's house. Like they they basically warned Stevie against it because it was 
common knowledge in the family that Sarah did drugs. She was an alcoholic. She apparently had also stolen money from like most of the family members for years. She would try to like Ooh. take their checks and cash them. She, she all around not great background. A great human. Yeah, exactly. And she also had a record. She um she was arrested for prostitution in 1971. It's she definitely had, I mean clearly they all had stuff working against them, but for Sarah, she I, I could see where maybe Stevie let her live with her, you know, as opposed to having her be homeless or, you know, maybe she couldn't get an apartment because of her arrest and everything. So it, it just it made for a bad situation. And so um, according to Leota, the older oldest sister, Sarah had also tried taking Stevie's identity several times over the last couple of years, basically just so she could gain access to stevie's accounts and get her money oh no yeah and so it had reached a breaking point and stevie had officially asked sarah to move out of her house so when the police find out all of this you know from their various family members they of course are like well sarah has a record she was arrested for prostitution like the easiest thing we can do at this point is to at least identify her as Sarah officially, you know, and not, you know, uh, so so we know that she's not Stevie. So they bring her in for questioning. They fingerprint her and no surprise, her fingerprints match Sarah Mitchell's arrest from 1971. So I mean, yeah, it's yeah, if you're trying to take someone's identity, and you've already been arrested, it doesn't make sense, right? To be like, I am this person, right, right. Well, and, and so they identify her, it's official, Sarah, she confesses to impersonating her sister, she says, Yes, it's me. You know, I was pretending to be Stevie, I wanted, you know, to get some money out of this or whatever. But the police are like, still stumped at this point, because they're they're wondering, like, some of them believe that maybe both of the sisters were involved in the anti-drug crusade. Some of them thought that maybe it had been Sarah all this time and not Stevie. Um, and it's kind of coupled with the fact that the last known sighting of Stevie Allman was in April. So we're talking about, like, three months earlier was the last time somebody remembers seeing Stevie specifically and knowing that it was Stevie and they ask Sarah you know okay where where is she like this is the big question now is well where is Stevie and Sarah claims that Stevie is away on vacation no uh uh I don't like this <laughs> I don't like it because you know that's that's the easy the easiest answer is oh she's on vacation well if you're unemployed how are you affording vacation yeah I got with all apparently with all this like you know secret money she's got that Sarah's trying to steal from I don't know it's yeah, it's it's a lot because of like all this new evidence that's coming out. Add in the fact that they basically are looking at the burns that Sarah has on her body from the fire and they're seeing them in a whole new light as splash burns, which are the type of burns someone would get when they start a fire. So people are now starting to assume, OK, this we can't put all of this together yet, but it seems like she might be involved with whatever happened. Like, we're not sure, but it does seem like that could be the case. And all we can do at this point is we have to find Stevie. We have to find Stevie. They're a couple weeks in now. Wait, this bitch burned the dogs. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. She. <sighs> yeah. Oh, believe me, it gets worse. So we were also uh, the other theme of my podcast. It it's going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you know what? It does. Um, a couple weeks, <laughs> a couple weeks into July. So this all happened July 1st. Now we're into mid July of them trying to steer this investigation in a new direction police return to the scene of the crime they go back to stevie's house and they're like we have to find maybe we can find some sort of clues that will like lead us to where stevie might be you know is she on vacation you know has she been taken what's the deal so they're searching the house or what's left of it for any sort of evidence of where she could be and they bring along their police dogs and of course love it the police dogs zero in on a deep 
freezer. If you're going to burn down the house, <laughs> don't leave her in the freezer. I know. Those things are very well constructed. I, this is this is where I was like, well, you're not as clever as I thought you might have been <laughs> because they find this deep freezer in the house. It has, oh, as if that's not suspicious enough, you know, it's been duct taped shut. Like somebody has duct taped shut the freezer. I mean, that actually is because it's sealed. So that would make, that's good sense until you try to burn down the house because then the smell can't get out. Yeah. I, I don't know. This is poor thinking all around. Here we go. So in the freezer, they find a badly decomposed, partially dismembered body. They can't. It, it's very disfigured. So they cannot immediately identify this body as anyone in particular. So the guesses and, you know, thoughts about like what could have happened. It, it could have been. You know, they even think that the police even think that maybe the arson attempts and the suspected murder are not related. You know, it, it could have been that Sarah committed the murder and then burned the house, or it could have been that they had nothing to do with one another. It could have been the drug dealers. Like, they're still not putting everything together. But when the coroner identifies the remains as Stevie Allman, they deduce that she was not in fact killed in the fire she was bludgeoned to death she was hit over the head before being dismembered and that's the cause of death they immediately turn back to sarah so from there it it becomes it goes from circumstantial to a lot more direct and they basically deduce that stevie had been bludgeoned uh while she was sleeping dismembered stuffed in the freezer and she could have been dead for about a month at this point before they found her oh my god that's crazy and like the question then becomes are the arson attempts even related right you know they could not be even related and that's, oh my God. Yeah. They arrest Sarah. They arrest Sarah Mitchell, Stevie's sister. They allege that Sarah killed Stevie and she tried to burn the evidence when her older sister threatened to cut her off from the money, from living in her house. It's not, it's not completely clear how this happens, but eventually Sarah does confess to Stevie's murder. She does, in fact, confess to killing her. From there, it's pretty case closed. They take it to trial. And in 2000, December of 2000, um, she is found guilty by a jury of first degree murder with special circumstance of financial gain. The Allman family, they even plead with the jury to reconsider the death penalty because the, the prosecutor pushed heavily for the death penalty and that governor that I had mentioned earlier, he he was actually known for kind of bringing back the death penalty um, in California. It's interesting that the family then, you know, specifically said, we do not want our sister to die. Like, we've already lost one sister. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of it makes sense. the reasoning. You know, she's getting punished mm-hmm. for it. So she's already getting punished for it. And yet I could see them being like, you know what? It's going it, to, like, we already lost Stevie. This is already horrible enough. And you know, it, it probably, yeah. I mean, as much as you're angry at that sibling for everything they've done, mm-hmm. death penalty, one, it brings up a lot more trauma and pain than I think most people realize because there's so many appeals built in. So you have to keep revisiting that pain. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and so the jury, the jury listens. They don't, they don't go for the death penalty. They instead sentence Sarah Mitchell to life in prison with no possibility for parole. And I thought this was an interesting addition. She was also barred by the Alameda County Superior Court judge from profiting from the June 1997 slaying of her sister, Stevie Allman. So I oh. I was like, uh, okay. Because all those people sent the money in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, that was, um, I think I skipped over that, but when they first arrest her, when they first arrest Sarah, they basically arrested her originally for forgery because she had been trying to cash a check that had been sent as a donation to Stevie. From there, you know, it just spiraled into 
investigating the murder. She actually filed for appeal the following year in 2002. The state appellate court upheld the murder conviction. There's no way that she will not be spending her life in prison. She is 70, I think around 70 years old at this point, and she is serving her sentence at Central California Women's Facility. So that uh, that's where um, Sarah Mitchell will be spending the rest of her days. Did they ever figure out if the arson was related or not? Or they the this one that uh, burned down the house was credited back to Sarah Mitchell. That she they basically put together all the pieces saying that she killed her sister while she was sleeping, cut her up put her in the freezer. I don't know why the thought was to then burn down the house. I mean, I feel like I feel like the best, you know, way to do it would have been to just go on living life and assuming the identity of Stevie, but she, I guess, wanted to tr- destroy the evidence and thought that burning down the house would do that. I guess if you would have left Stevie in the bed and burned the house, it had like made it oh, look like yeah. burning the house down then, but I mean, if you left her in that cooler, it seems like it would have allowed her to decompose where you would just get down, depending on if the freezer was on or off. Yeah. And destroying all the evidence. But yeah, it seemed like it was like one too many steps, like either, you know, burn down the house with her inside, leave her in the freezer and assume her identity. Like we don't need to do like all the ways to like kill somebody. Just like pick a couple. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even if, if it was... If you made it look like a fire where there was arson involved and, you know, like that, and she was found in her bed or something like that, it would have been a little less conspicuous, Right, I guess. right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what her whole thought process was with this. And I mean, to me, the like, the really eerie part of it was that there are pictures from the trial and the, most of them show Sarah Mitchell with like this calm, smiling demeanor, like during the sentence and you're just like I don't like it yeah it, it doesn't it's not like an evil smile it's just like a like an indifferent smile like this just hasn't affected her life and I oh gosh I don't it's it's crazy I mean even the even the police captain of Oakland police called it a, a bizarre event and the stuff of a Hollywood movie like that's like a direct quote from him is he's like this is the stuff of a Hollywood movie like this is not this was never where we thought this was going yeah and it's so tragic for that neighborhood because they lost someone who really was looking out for them and trying to improve the neighborhood yeah and trying to do good I think that was the end of the war on drugs but I can't remember yeah R.I.P. Stevie Allman R.I.P. because she was just trying to do good and she like got killed for money which is so I know it's like the most basic thing like it's it's just so I mean when you boil it all down to like why did she die it's I mean, it it literally is like it's even along the same lines of like you can't trust anybody or like good good guys finish last. You're just like, this is so terrible. Like what a terrible moral to this story. Like I ugh, and it's her family. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. Technically, the war on drugs is still going on (laughs) in case you were wondering. (laughs) Okay, I I thought we we're scaling back. But yeah, it's in the 90s. It's still pretty, pretty prevalent. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's yeah. When I and I know this area too that she lived in, and you know Oakland, Oakland has its rougher parts too, and this was definitely like mm-hmm. a rougher part still today. So I mean, in the '90s, I could see where that would be like extra, really dangerous, yeah, for sure. So and and I'm uh, this this again, this all came from basically like d- various news outlets, and I I unfortunately discovered this blog at like the very last moment um, that had links to, I guess, a few different documentaries or docu-series that cover uh, this case. Uh, So there's an episode of Deadly Women. There's one called My Evil Sister, Dead Ringer. I don't know if that's like the name of the show is my evil sister. And um, and then the episode is Dead Ringer. Yeah. And then the other one is called yes. Blood Relatives, Hell's Bells. <laughs> so, All of these sound like ID or Oxygen episodes. Yes. And I'm here for yeah, it. And, and I wish I had watched them um, because I, 
I really do. I mean, I find this just so fascinating because I, one, I'm an only child. I don't understand. I, I don't know. I've always like, especially as an adult, I've like wished that I had siblings. So like the idea of killing one of your siblings, let alone killing them simply because you wanted like a few bucks, like just seems so outrageous to me. So that's, it's yeah. It's insane. That's why I chose the story. This is I mean, I I have siblings and I can't imagine murdering them. Good, good. I'm glad that's the it's, lesson it's... to take away from this episode then. <laughs> don't murder your siblings. It's a like just don't. Just don't murder people. I feel like we don't say this often enough. Don't murder people because it's not the victim's fault. It's the murderer's fault. Yeah. And I feel like the benefits are never going to like outweigh the costs of what you have to give up when you commit a crime like this. Oh, no. So Kelly, do you want to tell everybody where they can find your more uplifting and happier (laughs) podcast? Absolutely. You can find Boobies and Newbies. We have our one-stop shop, brand new website, boobiesandnewbies.com. We're also on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Boobies Podcast. That's Boobies with an S because it's plural, Boobies Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, go ahead. And of course, you can listen on any, you know, podcast streaming platform that you, uh, listen to uh this lovely podcast on yeah and we'll be back next week for um, it's it's gonna be dark guys sorry <laughs> it's it's just how we're going i'm sorry okay bye bye hey everybody it's kelly host of boobies and newbies part of the frolic podcast network every episode i invite a romance reading newbie to read and review their very first romance novel alongside me a self-proclaimed romance novel addict. We're talking everything from bisexual pegging. We need more (laughs) pegging on TV. We need it in books. We need it in real life. We need to talk about it. To the deepest intricacies of relationships. It really is like we're fighting for us. Like we're, let's fight. We cover it all. Find and follow us on social media at Boobies Podcast and catch up on previous episodes on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Hey guys, I'm Bryce. And I'm Kyla. And we host Murder Decide, Decide Podcast. We discuss true crime, the supernatural, and all things spooky with episodes released bi-weekly. <laughs> Whoops, forgot to mention our crime-fighting pug, Bogey. He's the Beyonce of our destiny's child. If you are in the market for a new podcast, check us out by visiting our website, maridicidepodcast.com, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Until death do us part, we we'll see, see you soon. soon. Of domesticity, we're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word, or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at the Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free. <laughs>